Now, uh, let's just cover in prayer for a moment. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word of the Lord. We thank you for a continuous revelation as we press in, press into who we are, our calling, and the time that we're in, the revelation that we receive from the word, and the correlation of the word that applies to us today so that we know it better. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, somebody took my threshold. My threshold's gone. Who took my threshold? Okay. Anyways, we've been talking about a threshold, and, uh, and the threshold is a spiritual thing. It's a crossing over. Thank you. It's a crossing over. And we also understood that at a certain time, actually it was uh, Genesis 17, verse 5, at a certain time, Abram was yet to become Abraham, and, and he, was, he was identified as a Hebrew. And, and in that, the Hebrew comes from a root word, which means crossed over. So it was a threshold of crossing over. And because of that, we've been digging into certain circumstances, events, and the revelation of the Word of God of some major crossing overs. And of course, we're still on Abram, but there's Elijah, there's Jesus Christ himself, and uh, we'll get into that at some point. His, his crossing over was, began out of time, out of time. And uh, that's just to give you a little pearl to hold on to because God is timeless, right? So Jesus had the, to balance being timeless, knowing he was timeless, but being in time. He had a moment, but he had eternity. He had mortality, but he had immortality, correct? And so he, he had to suffer and experience mortality to end up becoming our immortal high priest. He came from immortality, came into mortality, and, and exited it. And just a little bit, we'll get into it with depth, but just to, just to intrigue you a little bit and to, uh, to excite you a little bit, remember when it came time for him, uh, he went to the wedding, and it was a great wedding feast and obviously a very wealthy wedding feast, and they had a lot of wine, and, and the wine ran out, and his mother already knew that he could do miracles, and uh, she told him, you need to do something. Tells us a few things. He was already doing miracles, but he was doing them quietly. They, they hadn't been professed yet. Mama saw him. You know, it might have been, you know, maybe she told him he had chores to do, and he just went like this, and the chores were over. Um, you know, maybe he just did little things. Somebody fell down and he prayed for him and their wound healed right up. Who knows what it was? But we know that she knew that he had that power. And so she, she challenges him about the wine. And, and he says something very strange but telling to us. And, and it's like you could hear him, you know, in our, own, in our own dialect, Mama, it's not my time yet. So she knew there was a time, but she didn't understand the timelessness. But he said, Mama, it's not my time because he was in a moment and he realized some things needed to happen. He needed to be baptized. It had to move in. It had to hit that, cross that threshold that God had prepared for his three and a half years of ministry where he was proclaimed as the Messiah on earth with power and authority. And what he was saying to her is, Mama, I'm here. I'm here yet. I haven't crossed that threshold. We haven't crossed that threshold. I'm here. 
but mama put a demand on them. And it's, you know, when mama puts a demand on you, it's hard to say no, right? So mama put a demand on him, and I believe he got a release. He got a release, and he turned the water into wine. He jumped into his baptism of water and turned it into wine. And he jumped over the threshold, and then he came back to the threshold waiting for the time. Now, many of you have similar experiences, don't you? You have a calling in your life, and God has spoken some things to you. Maybe he's told you about who you are and some things you're supposed to do. You feel that anticipation. You feel that excitement. You probably do things in private that, that isn't recognized you know, uh, in public or certainly in, in a religious manner. And you know a lot about who you are and what you can do, but you get a little exasperated because other people don't realize who you are and what you could do. But then you say, well, it's not my time, but, but it's coming. And sometimes we just stick our toe over the threshold and we get a little, little glimpse of it and something happens and excites us and then we find ourselves back on the threshold. And uh, that's where we are right now as the body of Christ. We're standing on a threshold and our toes are going over a little bit into this what is coming. And we're preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And I've shared with, with you in the past and we'll get into it some more. But, you know, Jesus himself said about John, he said, you had the law and the prophets and then came John. And so we know that's a dividing point, right? We know that Jesus said, if we would please, and I'm going to turn it sideways, you know, this is the threshold. Well, let's just say this is the law and the prophets, Old Testament, if you will, the law and the prophets. This is John. And John was preparing the way for the first coming of the Lord. So my opinion and my core belief is this is where we are. We're, we are in the Elijah dimension right now. And we're to begin to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And what's on this side of it is the church. And it's the age of the church, the church age. The church age was born when Christ came up out of the water in baptism. And then he amplified it and he grew it to the point that he even stayed on earth after his resurrection until his ascension to make sure that those who were going to promote and, 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 and speak his gospel were equipped to do it. And then he left. And he said, I'm going to send you another one who's better than me. He's greater than me in the sense that he's going to give you more power, more authority to do more. And he's, he's destined to be everywhere at all at once for you. And that was another threshold. So we had a threshold. We had Jesus. We had a threshold. We have the Holy Spirit. Now we have the church age, which has been growing and growing. And we have the signs of the seasons of the end of the times. And we're standing on a threshold. And that threshold is prepared to, for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. Now, there may be other thresholds and other moments in that way after this, but this is a, a MAGA, a MAGNA, forget MAGA, MAGNA threshold. And, and it means that something big is happening, and that's what Jesus said about John, right? He said, you had the law and the prophets, and then came John. And then after John, John realized that his assignment was diminishing and to the point he said, I need to decrease while he increases. 
But first he had to increase before Christ came. So there's an increase that's coming upon those who are called in answering the call to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. And many are sensing it, but they're reacting to it in different ways. Some are coming out and declaring, bringing out the old. They don't realize old things have passed away, all things are new. So they want to amplify the things that have already happened as if that's what needs to happen again. And so, you know, we get stuck in that mindset that started with Azusa that really became modern day and then came through with separate different moves about revival. And so the anticipation and the practice and what people are working towards is old-time revival. Now, that may or may not come, but that's not who we are. We're not old-time revivalists. We're new-time prepare-the-way disciples. And new-time prepare-the-way disciples can't do things the old way. John had a foot in the law and the prophets, and he was the greatest prophet according to the Lord. Why? Because he stood in the threshold and knew who he was and what he was supposed to do. I believe John could have performed miracles. He probably had the faith, no doubt. But that wasn't his calling. That's not what he was about to do. He wasn't going to sell his ministry to those who were coming to him, being drawn out of the law because they had become tired and weary with the way things were, and they were attracted by the anointing of God to the wilderness. That's who we are. We're in the wilderness. And I'm not just talking about Touch Heaven and Canfield. I'm talking about those around the earth who are in the wilderness of God to prepare the kingdom for Jesus Christ to come here on earth. That's who we are. And that, that group is growing, but maybe not as fast as some would expect a revival to be. And it requires internal growth and awareness and external practice and actions. And so our assignment, what we hear from this house and this ministry, and it's beginning to go out more now, is that we need internal equipping so that we can do the external work that God has called us to do. There's a time to go out and a time to come in. A time to go out and a time to come in. So I want to jump real quick back into Abraham, and I hope I can get to Hebrews some today because of the correlation in Hebrews 7 with what we're going to do. We left off in uh, Genesis 14, and we left off in verse 18. Actually, we took it to the end of that, but let's just recover it again. And we were dealing with that mysterious person called Melchizedek. And I'm not going to go through all of that again. I suggest you, you, know, you get it off of YouTube or request it online, and we can get it to you again. But Melchizedek, we knew he was called the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And he came from Salem. Salem means peace, S-A-L-E-M. Jerusalem is what it, the, the understanding would be, that area. And he showed up as a high priest after the slaughter that Abraham did with all the other kings that came against Sodom. The king of Sodom, he went and hid in the salt pits. He got slimy. He didn't want to die. But he came out after the slaughter, and he came out and tried to buy off Abraham. And Abraham said, I'm not going to take what you have, because then you would say that you bless me. But he took a tenth of the spoils of what he and his 300-plus courageous uh, people had done. Very small army against five kings, wasn't it? 
only took 300. So, so, so the Lord told us a long time ago, do not despite small beginnings. And so we've been celebrating small beginnings in this house now for over 10 years. And some of us have come from large beginnings, right? I came from a very large beginning, the largest Spanish-speaking ministry in the United States, one of the largest in the world. And uh, a large fellowship, a large congregation, a large following. Followings throughout the earth. But the Lord said, come here and rebuild the walls of Solemn of Jerusalem and to wait on him. You see, waiting on God is probably one of the most difficult for us when we have a calling of God in our life. We want to jump out. We want to make it happen. And that's, nat that's natural. And some are successful in doing it, but is it really success or is it a hindrance? Does it distract people from what they're supposed to do? There was a time for all of that but those times are passing us by. And those moments of just feeling good in large stadiums about things are not as important as they used to be. Now, they're important to the ministries that are doing them because they generate a lot of revenue. And just so you know, the largest, rev the, the largest revenue is from one woman who holds those things, and her ministry is doing about 200 million plus a year. And there's other ones that are, I'm not talking thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands. I'm talking hundreds of millions. So the mindset comes into mind, what do I do that's efficient? Yes, it's propelling and equipping and helping people, but when you start to see those kind of numbers, it becomes staggering, doesn't it? And you wonder what becomes the motivation, because it's hard when you're managing ministry not to be involved in business with ministry. It's hard. You have to. You have to have an acumen about it. So let's go back about that and see the balance and some of the issues and how this is happening. So we understand that this happens with Melchizedek. And we understand that God is, that, that Melchizedek showed up and Abram knew right away who he was. Uh, we don't understand any, any, few, any, any previous relationship. We don't understand. It says actually Melchizedek tells us in Hebrews, as we'll see, was mysterious, had no beginnings of days, no end of days. He just sh showed up, high priest of God. And ultimately, Jesus Christ came from that similitude of that same high priest. And we'll talk about that in a minute. He didn't come out of the Levites. He didn't come out of the Levites. He was from the tribe of Judah. Judah weren't ministers. They weren't Levites. They weren't ordained by man. So Abram takes his move. He, he understands when he sees this king of righteousness come out, and he does the, the Melchizedek offering. He gives him a tenth. And Melchizedek does something also that's quite unique and sort of points us to the cross. He sits down and has bread and wine with him. They break bread and wine. They don't call it communion, but they have bread and wine. So it's a foreshadow of what's coming, and it also foreshadows Melchizedek so that we understand that he was pointing to the Messiah. Now, without getting into all of that, some people like to say he was the Messiah. He was not the Messiah. Jesus did not have communion here on earth before his time. And when he did have it, he said, I won't have it again with you till we're in the heavenly places. Jesus knew how to be a moment in time. And so if anybody's trying to figure that out, that's your telling point. He would not have had communion on earth celebrating the blood and the bread 
prior to its time. What he did do was establish a, an issue with Abraham so that he could what? Activate the promises that were in Abraham. Abraham did something. And, and by the way, his name was Abram yet. Abram did something. He, he activated Melchizedek. He honored the higher authority. He said, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you what I can give of yours, 10% of these spoils, and I'm not taking a penny of these spoils because I'm going to trust God. He did a couple things to activate the promises of God. Number one, he understood that the provision came from God. Now, remember, we discussed last week, this came after he messed up, right? And I shared with you, you know, my friend Rick Joyner, one of you, you call him on his phone, and this is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Don't mess it up. And he messed it up. He messed it up because there came a famine. God had put him in the land, and what did he do? He didn't ask God. He ran down to Egypt. And, and then, as we discussed, you know, he sold out his wife. And he said, tell him you're my sister. Because she was so hot in her 70s, probably at that point, that, you know, and she didn't have Botox, and she, you know, wasn't doing makeup. She was really hot, and, and, and he was afraid they were going to kill him. And he even told her, they're going to kill me. So he sold out his wife. God got angry, but he covered Abram in his promises. You're still being covered in your promises. He covered him in his promises because he was, the, he was the, the moment of promises for all of us. And instead of getting angry at Abram, which he probably did a little bit, he took it out on Pharaoh. Now somebody told on Abram because Pharaoh said, why'd you do this to me? Remember? And it said that plagues came into his house. They don't tell us what those plagues were. And he threw Abram out and said, get out of here, take your wife and take everything you have and get out of my country. So he didn't touch him out of the fear of the Lord. The Lord dealt with his problem with the fear of the Lord. Stop and, and, and receive. The Lord can help and deal with your problems with the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we want to take them on. We want to we want to fight that battle. We want to punch back. We want to resist. We want to stand. We want to be the one that gets in someone's face. And sometimes you have to do that. But, but the Lord dealt with Pharaoh with the fear of the Lord and brought Abram back to the place of his threshold that he had left at. And we read in 14 and 15, when he came back, he went back to the exact same place in Bethel of, of his worshiping God. Everywhere he went, he set up an altar to worship God. Everywhere he went. So what's one of the keys for us in activating the things and promises of God? Establish an altar in that place. And the Lord says in his scriptures, wherever you establish an altar and proclaim my name, I will be there. So where can your altar be? It could be in your home, should be. It could be in your car, it should be. It should be in your place of work, it should be everywhere that your feet go that you have to establish an altar and declare the name of the Lord. That's what Abram did. That was his practice. But at that altar, after he established it, he was starting to get a little cocky, wasn't he? Because God just kept blessing him. So he just ran out of there, went down to Egypt, messed up. God sent him back. He went to Egypt because of a famine, and he didn't understand the provision of God. Now, we get all of that, and right after that, he has to go and rescue Lot. He learns what it is to become a Gael. These are little steps. A Goel is Hebrew for a redeemer. 
And he learned what it meant to go and redeem his bloodline. Now, all he had at that point was Lot, his nephew. Think about it. was his brother's son. He had no, nobody to be his inheritance, and this comes up in a little bit. And he'll tell us that he had, he had a, a, a person that was running his business who wasn't even a Hebrew. So he goes to redeem the family line out of fidelity and out of responsibility as a patriarch, and he goes to get his nephew, his rebellious nephew, Lot, who when they broke up, Lot said, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah, you go that way. Lot knew what he was walking into, and we talked about it. He probably wanted to go party and get away from his uncle, who was walking in more fidelity with God. He went and got him. And in so, he brings him back. And then the next thing that happens is, he's, he's got to deal with Melchizedek. He deals with him. He crosses that threshold. This is all after he came out of his mess up in Egypt. And next thing we see, verse 1 of chapter 15, this is the very next thing we see after the Melchizedek issue. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Isn't that interesting? The very first thing that we have recorded, so we understand this is a significant moment. There might have been some time in between it, but now, if you will, here's Abram on another threshold. He's standing on a threshold. He goes back to where he was. He's victorious. He redeems. He understands the responsibility of redemption. Beloved, the greatest responsibility we have in preparing the way today is that we understand the responsibility of redemption. Not the blessings of redemption. If, if you don't know the blessings of redemption, you're still drinking milk, like Paul said. And we can create some, some instances in this house with good teachers to bring you to the meat. But Paul goes on and on and on. I, I say Paul because I attribute him as the writer of Hebrews. Some do not. So let's just say the writer of the Hebrews goes on and on and on. And he says, some of you, I've come and I've found that, that you should be teaching, but you need to be taught. And you've gone back to milk and you're not ready for the meat. And he begins to explain to them about Melchizedek and the similitude of Jesus and being priests, etc., etc. So he's at a threshold. Abram's at a threshold. And it's as if God read his mind, right? He, he all of a sudden, he comes out to Abram, and he's crossing into a, another threshold. And what does God speak to? His fears. You see, even if we've just had a victory, the next reaction after all of the joy calms down is fear. Fear that we're not going to have another victory. Fear that this victory is not going to sustain. Fear that it's all over. That's the best it's going to get. The, the reaction is fear, and that fear is generated three different ways, right? We understand, because we've been learning in this house, <coughs> we are overcomers, and we have to overcome three forces. One, one is the world, the systems of the world. We have to overcome those every day. They're constantly clawing at us to steal who we are in Christ. And it's never been worse than it is right now, right? The lure is to, you know, become something and become greater 
and to utilize the tools of social media. And, you know, how many people have you heard, you know, they're verifying their worth by how many followers they have. That's their worth, right? That's not their worth. And followers, you know, on Facebook, a lot of friends, those aren't your friends. It's, it's a fictitious reality. And people feed into it. Now, I'm not saying don't use it, but use it wisely as unto the Lord, not as to one's own promotion. Because if you're using it for your own promotion and it begins to validate you, then that becomes your God. And in the sense, today's people, and, and, and it's not just an X or a Y or a, a Gen, it's all the way up to whomever is capable of jumping on board the social media, we're challenged. We're challenged not to get sucked in completely, but figure out how to motivate through it. And that's part of what we learned through Abram. He didn't have social media, but he had wealth. He had authority. He had esteem. He had riches. And he had promises, a whole bunch of promises. And, and he never really fully realized his promises until he crossed each one on his threshold. So God immediately speaks into his mind with a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. How does Abram answer? Oh, thank you, Lord. God is with me. I'm with the Lord. Lord, put angels around me. Make them warring angels. I, give me everything, Father. Oh, I'm so strong. He, it's not enough for him. You see, God was already understood what was in his heart and knew what he was going to say. Right? And that's how the Lord is with us. He may say one thing because he's really speaking to something else, but he wants us to get there. And that's what happened with Abram. And, and, and he says, Lord God, what will you give me? <laughs> what will you give me? Now, there's another interpretation for that. And, and, and in it, and, 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 or it said, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, a Syrian. Some Syrian came and apparently received favor with him and, and was the steward of his business. He was the CEO of, Abra of, of Abram's business. While Abram was doing whatever he was doing or not doing, this guy was running the business. And he's saying to him, all I got is Eliezer. You know, he's a Syrian. He's not even of my loins and my blood. I'm the Goel I just saved and redeemed my family line, but Lot, that knucklehead, you know, he, he, he's not capable. He, he's still drying out from addiction. I can't deal with this kid. And, and he's liable to just go sideways again, which eventually he did, didn't he? And so, because he went back to where he was. And so he knew enough. So he's crying out, Eliezer isn't the person. That's not my promise. And, and so what are you going to give me? I don't have any children. And this heir of all this inheritance, all these blessings you give me, who is it? It's going to be for nothing. And, and, and the Lord already knew that was coming, didn't he? And so he's speaking into that. And Abram says, Behold, verse 4, after the vision, now comes the word. He had the vision to precede the word. I say that to you because many people have visions. I had a lot of visions when the Lord called me. A lot of visions. I, I, I lost track of them. But it was the Word of God that stuck. The visions just prelude to us what's happening. It's like the trailer to a movie. 
But a lot of people, the minute they have the vision, they appoint themselves. And they begin to think that's the call. The vision is, is the prelude to the call. And it was like when Christ was on the mount and, and the disciple went with them and they said Elijah and Moses came and they made them a, a little tent and they were speaking with Jesus. That was a vision to precede what was about to happen at the cross. And they saw that. They saw that, but that wasn't the word that they heard. So then it says, then the word came. You see, it's really different between a vision and a word. Dreams don't validate everything that we're supposed to do at the point we do. There's too much said about dreams. You know, children will dream dreams. Dreams are dreams. Dreams are great things. I love dreams. Some of my dreams I hate. Some of them I wake up tired because I'm fighting somebody or something or I'm doing something. Dreams aren't going to determine who I am in the day. When I wake up in the morning, I need to be in the Word of God and understand who I am in prayer. And then I'm back in that person. Not holding on to that dream to dictate what I do. Right? And so we, we've come into a place even in the body of Christ where we get our, our minds off of the things of God. We begin to, to pursue dreams. Dreams are good. I'm not knocking them down. And the Lord has, has really spoken to me sometimes through a dream and given me some cautions and shown me some things. But it doesn't actually mean it's for that time. It could be recalled for a lot later. So we learn from this that when Abram really needed to know something from God, first of all, the Lord, Lord gives him a vision and says, Hey, I'm your shield and I'm the rewarder. I'm the one. So he sets the precipice, but that's not good enough. Abram says, what are you going to give me? He says, I don't have an heir. And he says, and, and, and then behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram saying, this one, Eliezer of Damascus, this Syrian, this heathen, he's not going to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body. And actually the words that are used are bowels shall be your hair. Why, why is the word bowels important? Because in Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, right? Who thought himself not too proud, not too arrogant, but it says that he, he became lower. And the word in that is that he emptied out his bowels. It emptied out his identity, his inheritance, who he was, his glory. And he emptied it out to become man. And so to the Lord, when we're talking about bowels and bosom, we're talking about being in the heart of God, being in the very nature of who you are. And so what he was saying is that this heir is not only going to be of your own seed, he's going to be the nature of who you are. Why is that important? Because he had already promised an oath and a blessing upon Abram that preceded this, that whomever he blessed would be blessed, whoever he cursed would be cursed. The Abrahamic promise begins to grow. Now God continues to feed it. God could have given a lot of us promises, but we'll see in Hebrews that we're supposed to wait on them with patience and, and practice and responsibility. So when God speaks something to somebody, that doesn't mean that in this moment here on earth, they're already who God said they are. They are, but they're not. You got it? Jesus was timeless here on earth in the mortal, but he had to wait for his time. And so when we're in time, God could be speaking to us and you and me telling us all kinds of things that are exciting and wonderful, but if we try to appropriate that outside of time, it becomes flesh. And so what happens when that happens is if God really loves us, he puts the brakes on. 
And he says, go ahead, stumble, go down to Egypt, come back, go here, go that, do this, chase that, pursue this, and then when you come down and you're all tired and you're all wearied out, let's talk. And that's where Abram was. He said, he's going to come from your own bowels, your own nature. He's going to, basically he's telling them, but Abram doesn't have it yet. He's going to come with the same promises. It's not about your cattle. It's not about your sheep. It's not only about your dominion. He's going to come with the same promises. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, It shall come from your own bowels. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards the heaven and tell the stars. Look at the stars. When he says tell the stars, he's talking about prophetically discerning them. He's not talking about just going out and enjoying you know, a nice light under the moonlight. He's talking about, look at those stars, and what do you see? Do you see just stars, or do you see a kingdom? What, and, and he says that to us all the time. What do you see? Is this really what you see, or do you see beyond this? Is ministry an opportunity, or is ministry something far greater than an opportunity? Is ministry a responsibility? What do you see? What are you pursuing? What are you prophesying? What do you see? So he had to take Abram from that moment where he was anxious about Eliezer, the Damascus, right? Probably ticked him off that day, I don't know. And, and, and he, he was looking, he was expanding his expectation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of which is, it's invisible. So he was creating a hope inside of him that was in contrast to what his own words were. I have nobody. What are you giving me? That's great that we just did all this stuff, and, you know, but, but, but what about me? What about this promise you gave me that's gnawing inside of me? What am I going to do with this thing? It's just eating me alive, and I don't see it happening. I mean, you know, Sarah's hot, thank you, my hot wife in her age, but, but we can't have children anymore. What's going to happen here? I don't understand this. How many of you know that when you're at a threshold, you're not supposed to have all the understanding? Huh? Because then that's your threshold. If you're doing everything with complete understanding, that's your threshold. Now, some of us practice business every day. In business, I like to know what I'm doing. I don't just jump off the cliff in faith and, you know, just go buy a bunch of stuff and say, how am I going to pay for it? How am I going to do this? Sometimes the Lord will tell you, jump off the cliff. But this isn't business. Ministry to God isn't the business of ministry to ourselves. And so when you come to a threshold, if you think you got it all figured out, I can promise you there's, there's one constant. You don't. <laughs> I promise you that. I can tell you that from Scripture, and I can tell you that from personal experience, having messed up some good days. When you think you got it, that's the first telltale sign you don't. That's when we stop and we begin to look at the stars. And we begin to get out of that mindset that we're in. And we have to step out of it. Sometimes it takes a pause. And sometimes it's the word of the Lord. And sometimes it's just waiting and hearing and not becoming anxious. And when we control becoming anxious, typically that's when God moves. And you have the peace and the rest. 
You see, if we think our anxiousness is going to make it happen, then God says, I'm not helping you because you're going to forget it's not me. That's why Abram said, I'm not going to take of this. I'm going to rely on God. He learned before the Lord had this encounter with him, which was the encounter of his heir. You and me, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be believers. We wouldn't be partakers of the Abrahamic covenant if he and God didn't have this moment. But he had to learn who God was, first of all, and he had to make a commitment and show, God is my provider. All those spoils sitting in front of him. It was probably enough riches to multiply his wealth three, four, five, ten times over in a moment. Pretty hard. Pretty hard to have that, 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 that wealth sitting right in front of you that you earned. By being a Gael, that was a good thing. You're under being a redeemer, right? And, and that's my message to a lot of people in ministry today as they get lured into stuff. We can believe we earned something and that we're entitled to something and then all of a sudden it becomes ours and not his. Hmm? That's how you get this mindset that, you know, yeah, Lord, thank you. I can get around to where I need to go, but you know what? I want the biggest airplane in the world. And it's, it's only $75 million, and I want to tell people they need to buy it for me. You see, because they forget somehow in all of that that God's the provider. And that we're insignificant unless God makes us significant. I, I'm not bragging. I could fill up my appointment book starting next week. I could go from church to church, place to place, country to country. Trust me, I, I would be failing God so badly. What would be the purpose? To build myself? For what reason? What's the message? You see, the real messages in the thresholds, they come out from someone, some people, crying out in the wilderness. Billy Graham started out in the wilderness, and he became who God made him. And his son has been carrying it on from his own loins. His son went sideways for a while, Franklin. His son is carrying it on from his own loins. Great people of God. Smith Wigglesworth, a plumber. A plumber. He didn't even know how to write. His wife had to write for him. She helped him make his sermons. He didn't like giving sermons. He just liked to tell people, you know, it's God. Right? E.W. Kenyon was rejected more than he was received. Wrote tons of books. All of the faith movement, he's the father of it besides getting back to Abraham. Never receives any credit for it. A lot of people have done quite well with it, and they continue. The whole supernatural. The whole supernatural. And it all has its moment, and it all has its place. Thank God the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, because I failed enough times that I shouldn't be standing here. So who am I to judge others that are doing it? But I can cry out against that spirit. That's a Babylonian spirit. We understand that spirit. The great whore Babylon in Revelation, that's that spirit. And that spirit has crept its way into the body of Christ. So much that there's really not a bride for him to return to right now. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. So the bride, as we might perceive as being the whole body of Christ, is not the bride. It can't be. There's too many wrinkles, too many spots. So one of two things has to happen. The spots need to come out, the wrinkles need to get ironed, or, or there's a bride within the bride that comes out. 
I tend to believe that this first iteration is a bride within the bride that comes out. And that the great awakening that we're calling for is awakening within the people of the body of Christ that are awakening to who we are the time we live in and take the responsibility at heart to do it. And so he says, look at those stars, count them if you're able to number them, otherwise he was laughing at them. I'm sure Abram didn't go, he said, oh, wow. Really, Lord? These are my descendants? This? And he says, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And so have they been. Next verse. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Stop right there. That's Hall of Faith stuff. Right? That's right out of the Hall of Faith in the Scriptures. He believed in the Lord, and accounted it to him for righteousness. Man, I was pondering that for a long time yesterday. I couldn't get off of that for a long time. I had to ask, what did he do that brought him that accolade that he believed in the Lord and he accounted to him for righteousness? For example, my brother, I say to you, when you go out to your car, you're going to have four brand new tires. You go out, you either have them or you don't. If you have them, you say, oh, that was the word of the Lord, because you see it, and it manifests in that moment, because your faith is in the moment. His faith could not be in the moment for him to be accounted for righteousness. I'm bringing you the timelessness now. The timeless mindset that we need as those who prepare the way and become overcomers. If we're stuck in the moment, our faith is going to be measured by the moment. So all of a sudden, this becomes an Isaac moment. <laughs> this becomes a Jesus moment. This becomes a in the bosom of Abraham moment. This, this, this jumps the threshold. And for a moment, in the word of the Lord presence, Abraham gets it. He said, I don't see it. I don't feel it. It makes no sense whatsoever, but I believe you. And in that moment, he was timeless. He had to go somewhere else. He, he had to become more than hope. He had to hold on to it and say, this is the real reality. Because my reality isn't getting it. I got Eliezer from Damascus. The Lord's telling me I got descendants that are created timeless in eternity. That's our mindset. That's a challenge, isn't it? But let me say something to you. When you practice it, it is liberating. When you practice the fact that your faith can jump into the timeless mindset of God himself, wow, all of a sudden you can believe God for everything of your promises. Just make sure he's promised them, right? You're not just naming and claiming stuff because you want it. Just make sure he promised it. But he also wants to give us the desires of our heart. He looked at Abram, who he found to be obedient, almost, except for the wife thing and Pharaoh. You know, he blew it there, but God brought him back, crossed the threshold, said, let's restart, son, because I'm not going to allow you... <laughs> I'm not going to allow you to destroy the promises of God in you that I've given you. 
Do you know who can stop the promises of God in you that God has put in you? Do you know who can? You. Only you. You can make a decision. I'm done. You can make a decision. I'm comfortable right where this is at. You can make a decision. You know, this Pastor Frank, some of the stuff he preaches and teaches, I'm out of here. I want a good, feel-good message. It makes me feel good. At least it lasts till Monday at 5 o'clock when stuff starts to get hard, and then I, uh, I need another feel-good message. Let me buy some tapes, and let me buy a series on feeling good. <laughs> get away from this guy. He's little. You know what I mean? Or the moment that you're challenged and tested, and all of a sudden that stuff's not working for you. But we're in that timeless mindset. When we get to that point, and the Lord says, count the stars. He says, Rob, count the stars. That's how many promises and blessings I have for you. Angela, Angie, count the stars. That's how many blessings I have for you. Terry, go count the stars. That's how many blessings I have for you. So Abram, he only knows one moment, but it was in a timeless moment, and it had to be in an intimate covenant with God. Lord, I believe. I receive. And then it says, the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, let me ask you a question. This came right after his encounter with Melchizedek, right? Who was the high priest and king of Solomon, known as the king of righteousness and peace. Melchizedek, who had something to give called righteousness, activated Abram to be able to walk in a timeless mindset to have it accounted for righteousness. Come on. How many times have I preached to you, nobody can take you where they haven't been? Nobody can give you what they don't have to give, and nobody will get you there if they don't want to go. So we could just be doing the same old things the same old way, getting nowhere walking around in the desert, your shoes won't wear out, you won't lose your salvation, but you'll end up dying walking around the desert. Or we can get to the point where we get impartations. And the writer of Hebrews got it. The lesser always receives from the greater. It's not talking about titles. Interesting, Hebrews doesn't even deal with titles. You want those, go to Ephesians 4.11. He purposefully deals with the similitude of Melchizedek, being like him, and being like Abram, who received from the one who was endless with no days, the one who was timeless. You know when I get excited to receive from people? One of the ones that was, several of them were meaningful to me. Gwen, remember Gwen Lurley? Gwen Shaw wrote 90-some books, Mama Shaw. I had the pleasure while she was alive, the founder of the End Time Handmaidens. Gwen Shaw, for the most part, wasn't fit for this world. 
She walked in a different place, ladies. And I'm one of the only men that I know about beside her husband who became an inaugural member of the End Time Handmaidens. I was at their things a lot. I spoke at their things. I ministered at their things. I did miracles at their things. She saw something in me. She prophesied things over me that confirmed the things the Lord had spoken to me that only she and I spoke about. She imparted things to me. She imparted the beginning of a timeless mindset. I remember that. I'll always remember that. And before her was another woman named Helen Hunt on the east side of Youngstown. There were five of us. The Lord spoke to me in my despair. <laughs> in my own despair. When I cried out, Lord, I'm all by myself. You're telling me I'm going to do all these things. I don't have any heirs. I just got thrown out by my family. The rabbi threw me out. I'm lost. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's going on. And the Lord came to me in a vision. And he showed me this place on the east side of Youngstown. And I realized right where it was because I used to work in a warehouse right by it for the Cafaro Company. I said, I know where that is. I'll find that house. I got in my car. And I drove there. And when I walked in the door, Prophet Helen Hunt, who, by the way, didn't call herself Prophet Helen Hunt. She didn't need to. She looked at me. She goes, come in, son. I've been waiting for you. I sat down. There were five of us. Leslie Bissell. How many of you know Leslie Bissell? Leslie. He's singing. If any of you know Leslie Bissell, he could sing opera without a microphone. He bellows like the angels with a voice that's phenomenal, unbelievable, perfect pitch, boom. And Leslie's singing and they're worshiping and she gives me a seat. I sit down. I begin to cry. Something broke inside of me. I said, I don't know what's going on here. You see, I came into the presence of somebody who could activate promises inside of me. I didn't know it then. I know it now. I knew it then a little bit later. And then she said, who here can play piano? And I think she already knew I could. But I was afraid. I didn't know Christian songs. I just came out of recording a rock and roll album. I was Melanzol. I, I had a whole different music thing in my head. I, 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 I just, so she points, thank God, not me, she points to Leslie. Leslie, come here at the piano. He goes, no, no, that's my brother. He plays piano. Goes, no, no, sit down, Leslie. She puts her hands on him. And all of a sudden, he begins to play piano. And he begins to sing. And play piano and sing. And I jump into the moment, and I'm singing things I don't even know what I'm singing. Because we worship God in the moment at the altar. And that woman imparted so much to me. She taught me what spiritual warfare really was. She taught me how to rest in it. She taught me how to separate my dreams from my calling. Fast forward, I've had some great people speak into my life. Guillermo Maldonado, I'll forever be indebted to him. Spoke many things into my life, a true apostle of God. Who from the moment he saw us, said, come with me. And we had to leave her. Had to leave a big church to go to a bigger church, not because it was bigger, because God said go. We had to not look back. And then we had that moment. That moment about 
eight years ago, a little table, six of us with Peter Wagner. And I'd never really been into Peter Wagner. I didn't study his stuff. I didn't follow him. I wasn't a Peter Wagner groupie. You know, I just didn't. And I know he was the founder of many movements, right? The prophetic movement, the apostolic movement. I mean, Peter was where the rubber hit the road and, and he's speaking to us. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, saying, son, grab this nugget, eat it. My antennas go up and he says, we have epitomes in our life, epiphanies. Now I understand these are epiphanies. And he said, in my life, I've had 13 major ones. He said, in each one, I thought I was where I needed to be until the Lord moved me forward into another complete revelation. And he says how he came out of being Episcopalian to Lutheran, Lutheran to Protestantism, Protestantism to thisism, thatism, 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 the charismatic movement, and on to the prophetic movement, then the apostolic movement. And, you know, those on the earth today who want to be apostles, that's the ultimate, right? The apostolic movement, man, if you could get up to that, ooh, you cool. You've arrived. He said a few things that shot through my heart. He said, each time I realized how more insignificant I came compared to Christ, each time I realized I didn't matter as much. Boy. And then he said, I'll never forget. He said, I know it's coming soon. I'm about to cross over my greatest epiphany. It's coming. I knew then immediately what it was. We walked out. I looked at my wife. I said, he's going to die soon. The Lord's going to take him home. And he did. That man imparted something to me that I needed. Not by power. Not by might but by my spirit, says the Lord. One of my favorite places to have a little chat with the Lord is in my shower. I don't know why. I don't know why it happens. This morning after I got done praying and getting prepared to to do what I do to get here so we can continue on what we do here early in the morning. I said, Lord, give me a word for today. I mean, I have the word. I've been studying. I'm in that. I got so much, Lord. I got too much. I want your word, Lord. I don't want my word. This is what he said to me. He called me Frank. That doesn't happen too often. Frank. Yes, Lord. It's not by power, son. It's by spirit. It's by spirit. Beloved, we have to overcome three things, right? The world system, the great whore Babylon is going to get stronger. 
beat her chest more until the Lord destroys her with his coming. We have the evil kingdom, which is never going to quit pressing against those of us who say, okay, I'll get in the front line, Lord. Put me on the threshold. I don't know, I don't know how, but let's do it. He believed the Lord. He looked into space and didn't even understand what he was looking at, but he understood it, and the Lord accounted him for righteousness, beloved. One of the problems with religious comprehension of righteousness is we believe that's all it is, it's over with. We don't need to do anything else. He was made sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. And yes, that's all true, but that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. That's where then the Lord wants to see what are we going to do with it? How are we going to act? The writer in Hebrews got a little tough. He or she, some believe it could have been Priscilla. Again, I believe it was Paul, but that's my own theological basis. Wrote, once you cross that line, in righteousness there's no coming back. A lot of the people, once saved, always saved, they don't like that scripture. They try to explain it every which way but lose. And then that writer goes a little further. And says, by doing that, by abusing the righteousness of God that we have, it's as if you subject the Messiah to the cross again. Whoa. That's called the fear of the Lord. And that's the problem with a righteousness grace only to the body of Christ today. It ends up diluting the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is supposed to be primary and first. And then all the rest of it works. So, beloved, our call is to cry out the fear of the Lord. Jesus is coming. And for me, take it as you will, I'm never going to preach a message of escaping before the Lord comes. I'm not going to do it. I don't want that blood on my hands. The Lord says we're to prepare, to equip, and to overcome. What are you going to overcome if you're not here? Who's going to prepare the way if not us? Who's going to bring heaven down to earth if not us? You see, that's what we're called to do. And until we're done doing it, that's what we do. And we're done doing it when our assignment's done here and the Lord takes us home if He should tarry and it's time to go. We're done doing it when He returns. We're done doing it when our assignment is over. John got it. I must decrease that He should increase. My assignment is diminishing. The Savior's here. The Messiah's the one. And even then, He was so bound by not having that timeless mindset that even while he was in chains in prison, waiting to whether live or die, and I don't think he was afraid to die, I think he was crying out to the Lord, Lord, this is what you raised me for, what am I doing here? 
He was betwixt two worlds. He had one foot in the church age and one foot in the law and the prophets. We're betwixt two worlds. We have one foot in the church age and one foot in the kingdom age. And we're serving in the church age, but we are preparing the kingdom age. And so out of the prison, he sends those that are still loyal to him, to the Lord. He says, are you the one? This is cousin. They weren't like they were unfamiliar to each other. He knew the story about his mom, Elizabeth, giving birth that couldn't give birth, coming out, praising the Lord. He knew the virgin story of his aunt. He knew all of that. He baptized him. He had a timeless moment. He said, I'm not worthy to touch the latch of your shoes. Same words Abram used with the king of Sodom. I won't take even a latch of your shoes. And in that moment, in that moment of finally seeing it, are you the one? Tell him yes. Gone. Insignificant. So beloved, I didn't get anywhere where I wanted to go. But he got us where he wants us to be. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. We're going to draw a line there. What I'd written to you to prepare us, and I don't do those things randomly. I usually intend them to be something that's a little prophetic and pointing. I said, there's a blessing that activates the anointing that releases the wonderful promises of God that are coveted to the child of God. Some promises are inherent for all believers. These are the immutable promises of God that are declared in the Word of God. And then there are promises unique to those who are called that are released for a specific purpose at a specific time. When we cross this threshold if the Lord allows us next week, right there at that scripture. The Lord moves from the promise of the inheritance, the seed, which is us, all of us in the Abrahamic covenant. Now he gets down to the land grant. And the next promise is the land grant. Those are promises of God given by an oath. An oath that can't be broken because it was unilateral. It was the Lord only. Abraham and the Lord didn't enter into a covenant for the land. The land spoke an oath. The Lord did to the land. And the land protected Abram to make sure he went back to that land, took him out of Egypt. That wasn't the land. That's why those of us who understand we may not have all the facts, we may not have all the details, but we know one thing, there's a land grant with God in Israel. And it can't be broken. And that land grant's very important to God. And those who deny that land grant, they put themselves against the very will of God. Who's going to win? 
God's going to win. We're also those that are in that era right now. Israel became a nation, spoken into being the only time the United Nations was in total agreement for the Jews in May of 1948, and the bell's been ringing ever since. And the Lord said, once I bring them back to the land, no one's going to move them out of there again. And he also says, Jerusalem's the apple of my eye. And he also tells us that there's neither Jew nor Greek. But then Paul made it very clear in Romans 11:25, don't be ignorant of this mystery unless you're conceited, wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the Gentiles are saved. And then all Israel will be saved. It's happening. My friend Samuel Smodja called me yesterday from Israel. We talked for a long time and he said to me his church is growing. His Messianic church, First Jerusalem Church, discovered in 1948 by his father, the Church of Jerusalem. And he said, you won't believe it, Frank, Jews are coming to the church. I'm watching Fox News, right, because I'm a political beast. And I'm watching a little bit about the government thing. All of a sudden, uh, and I was working on this stuff, I hear a voice. I said, that's a familiar voice. That's Uncle Sid. I go, there's Sid Roth. And he's given his testimony on an advertisement on Fox. I figured, well, it's 30 seconds. No, it's a minute. No, it's two minutes. And he's offering his one, one new man book about the Jew. And, and he's given it free to Jews. And I got so excited because we hadn't talked in a while. I texted him right away. I said, you mensch, I'm so happy. I said, you're reaching to the Jews, man, on Fox News. Go for it. <clears throat> he wrote me back right away. Frank, I'm so happy to hear from you. I missed you. How are you? I said, good, Sid, crossing the threshold. I said, we're crossing the threshold. He wrote back to me, yes, into global glory. See, that's his thing, global glory. I wrote back, Sid, already been there in global glory. Crossing the threshold. It's the time. And he wrote back to me, let's get together soon. I said, okay. Now, two years ago, Sid wouldn't have even thought about putting that advertisement on. God's doing something. And he's reaching out. I know he probably couldn't have bought that ad on CNN. But somebody in Fox let him do it. And he came right out with it. Why am I sharing this with you? Because that is part of our, 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 our temperature gauge. When we see the Jews coming, and we see the Jews prophesying, and we see the Jews evangelizing, and we see the fervor for Israel and against Israel getting stronger and stronger, prepare the way for the Lord. Don't be ignorant of this mystery unless you're wise in your own conceits because we're getting to that point with the coming of the Lord where all Israel shall be saved. 
because of the land grant of the second promise to Abram, which was ignited because of the blessings from the King of Righteousness. My prayer for you and for me, I don't preach to you, I preach to us through Him. I don't like it when people say you. It's like, well, what about you? <laughs> I like it when they say we. Oh, okay. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? And for us, my prayer is that we identify these keys that initiate and trigger the promises in us. As I wrote, not just those that are inherent to everybody because of who we are as believers, but then there's those special promises that God has put inside of you and me for such a time as this. Those are the ones that are starting to manifest and getting triggered and they're timeless. They're timeless. So we're going to pursue. We're going to keep getting into this. There's a lot to it. It speaks to the current time. It speaks to who we are and where we're going and what's going to happen. But you will find it's like a magnet because of the anointing. Each kind finds its own kind. And what we're beginning to partake of here will grow and grow and grow. And remember what the Lord said a little while ago to us. He said, it's not going to be a movement. Not like some like to label movements. He says, because it's me and it's too holy to call a movement. Hmm? That's what I heard. That's what we received. All right. Father, thank you for this word of God. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to receive this. Lord, let us not be too fast to reject things that seem uncomfortable. Let us not be too fast, Lord, to, to just receive things without doing our own homework, our own prayer, our own meditation, without looking at the stars ourselves. We bless you, Lord. Father, I know that the last words that are in our books, our Bibles, are written, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I'm sure some people have been praying that a long time, and I too say, okay, Lord, come quickly, but I also have to ask you, Lord, let your grace continue to flow, because I'm not sure that we as a bride are qualified. So, Lord, you come when you want to come. You come when you will come, and for us, me, my house, our ministry, us together as people, our sphere of influence, let us be those who cry out to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord in preparation. Be blessed, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to collect a tithe, and um, I wanted to share with you out of Hebrews how it says that there is uh, a tithe that was in the loins of the Levites that they had helped to pay that tithe to Melchizedek because they were the seed of Abraham. Now reverse that and that means that that tithe that 
Melchizedek received that, that opened up Abraham's blessings also works for us. So there's a mysterious power in tithe. Yeah, people can argue with it. They may not like it. They may, you know what it just is? It's just like being saved. It's just like the blood of Jesus. It is. And so my final word on that is tithing is real. Tithing activates promises of God. Tithing is something that we're called to do, that we're permitted to do, that we're privileged to do, and God uses it in the kingdom and multiplies it. And he looks at it as accounting to us for righteousness. We'll get into more of that. That he does. So each for your own. You do as the Lord puts it on your heart. I encourage you to for your own blessings. For your own blessings. Me tithing can only bless you if God uses it through instruments for you. You tithing can only bless me if God uses it through instruments for me. And I think we all want the same faith that Abram had. God provides. God provides, right? So, this is an opportunity. I encourage you, if you're online, you know, you can tithe through www.touchheaven.com. You can text to 330-845-6005. Or you can mail to Touch Heaven Church, 10 Skyline Drive, Canfield, Ohio, 44406. I'm going to pray over the tithe, and then I'm going to ask Laura Lee to release um, some names for us to be praying for vigilantly uh, this week especially, as we said we would. And uh, after we close out this moment, the altar's open. There are wonderful people here to pray with wonderful people. I encourage you, if you want some prayer, to come up. And those of you who have been uh, asked to pray with people, please do come up and do so for them and with them. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer activates the promises. It's another one. Father, we thank you for this offering. Lord, we lift it up to you. We know, Lord, that what is given on time here that is measured in cents and dollars becomes timeless in your kingdom. And that you take it, Father, without days beginning, without days ending, and you use it for whatever your purposes are here on the earth. Let us be good stewards. I ask you to bless each and every person who's been able to give and not able to give here equally and online, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you multiply in each person's storehouses many blessings, not just financial, but more and more and more. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can't count, just like we can't count the stars, your blessings. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.